Dennis Stewart, last week we did talk about folk medicine. We do like talking about we folk do. medicine. You, we do. You looked at parsley and yes. how it can be used yes. to help with problems of the sure, urinary system. Sure. But we're going to move on to another part of the body. We and, are indeed. Uh, some folk medicines that might be good for migraine headaches. We'll touch on it. It's a fascinating story, Jane. On health naturally. We've been talking about folk uh, remedies, yes. um, Dennis, but yes. you also describe them as domestic remedies. Yeah, look, I think that's a good term because what I've been trying to get over in these last discussions we've had over the last couple of weeks is that there's a whole medical or healing system out there that was developed, if you like, around the household. And usually it was associated with the skills, particularly that women had. Uh, in the past, we used to uh, refer to women that had the healing gift as wise women. And, and I, I, I regard that as a very fair statement. In fact, I'll, uh, I'll put myself out there by saying that in my study of what's called traditional medicine, herbal medicine, which is associated with folk medicine, the history of it is primarily that of women taking hold of simple remedies and using them in a domestic environment uh, in, co in communities where the, the healer was well known, where the woman was well known, where the folk medicine was well known, and where it was drawn on to treat or help various health conditions. So that's not a bad term, the term folk medicine, domestic medicine, medicine known within the community and used for community problems by members of the community. And I also refer to it as the medicine of experience. In other words, folk medicine draws on what we call an empirical basis, an empirical foundation, that is the observation over many, many years, that this particular plant, and they normally were plants, herbs, these particular herbs were shown and used frequently to address a problem because it had been helped by that particular folk medicine for generations and generations, the medicine of experience. And we must never, ever, ever regret or move away from uh, the history of medicine, which still is very, very strongly founded on, on plant-based medicine and the, the medicine of experience and the medicine that was taken up domestically and the medicine that became known as folk medicine. And in fact, modern-day herbal medicine, uh, which you could say that I had a lot to do in, in establishing here in Australia over 40 years of experience and teaching, that it really is, if you like, a modern expression in a better documented form of a lot of what is referred to as folk medicine. The British Herbal Pharmacopoeia, which I consider, as I've said before, is the Bible of modern medicine, uh, in the monographs that it has on very, very many herbs which we draw on, uh, those monographs are drawn upon the tradition and history of herbs used in communities as folk medicine as domestic remedies, and we'll look at some good examples of this. I think it's important for people to keep in mind that this tradition must never, ever be lost, because I have a, a, a very strong developing view that the way in which uh, the world is moving today, our guaranteed supply of medicinal preparations, keeping in mind that Australia, as far as I understand, 
draws most of its medications and its drugs from overseas, my understanding is that with the breakdown in the supply system, it may be that many of the medications of modern medicine and pharmacy may not be as readily available as they were in the past, and we may find, Jane, this is really a radical statement I'm going to make, we may find that folk medicine, traditional medicine, undergoes a renaissance simply because of the problems associated with what I see is going to be the future, and that is the inability to guarantee a lot of the uh, medications that we've taken for granted are going to be available, keeping in mind that we manufacture very little of modern pharmaceuticals. So I'm a great believer, in fact, about two o'clock in, uh, in this morning, and I say that quite truthfully, um, <laughs> I was thinking about um, what are called galenical preparations. Um, now, galenical basically is, me, uh, is a term that is used to describe medications that are based on herbs. And pharmacy and medicine, up until recent times, was based on galenicals. And I was thinking uh, of the way in which, uh, for, for instance, the treatment of gout uh, these days, it, it uses an alkaloid called colchicine, which is extracted from a herb, uh, a well-known herb, uh, which in the past was the treatment for gout, but in the past, and only a few, well, probably a generation or two before, it was not the alkaloid that was used, it was a galenical preparation, that is, the whole herb was used and the, the preparation that would have been prescribed would have been a galenical preparation usually compounded by a pharmacist who would make a medication, say, for gout, and that would be based upon what would be called an extract or a tincture of colchic of the herb. Now, that is galenical medicine, and I was thinking this morning, because I'm really concerned about this problem of guaranteed supply of drugs in the world in which we live, I was thinking this morning, and this is radical what I'm going to say, it may come a time when uh, pharmacists may well be encouraged to look at the old editions of the Australian pharmaceutical formulary and look at the way in which galenical preparations were in the past popularly manufactured by our skilled pharmacists and rather than a sophisticated modern pharmaceutical that may be imported from overseas, which I'm contending may not be guaranteed in the future, the galenical preparation based on a simple extract or tincture, which the pharmacist himself or herself could make, may be the way to go. Now, that's radical stuff. Oh, that's yes. very radical stuff. But at two o'clock in the morning, I was thinking, <laughs> now, what am, I, what am I going to take up tomorrow? And the galenical preparation, I'd like to talk much more about that later on. And it would be interesting to see whether or not uh, my pharmacy colleagues initiate another uh, lecture that I gave here years ago uh, on galenicals to, uh, to the pharmacy profession, uh, profession. I've got a strong viewpoint on that day. Ooh. But if we look, getting back to folk or traditional medicine, we spoke about parsley and there's been a lot of interest in that. Mm. Ah, but there's just as much interest in the herb fever view. Two on your RFM's Health Naturally. Dennis uh, Graham has rung in from Nelson Bay. Hello, Graham. Your question's about Meadowsweet. Meadowsweet, uh, Dennis. Hello, uh, Graham. I've been taking it. Uh, I'll be taking it as a uh, as a capsule. Yes. But in, in recently, it's uh, apparently uh, not available on the, oh. on the market, and 
I believe there is an alternative in uh, liquid form. Okay. Uh, I would, is, is that available from, you know, oh, from yes. your outlet? Or? Yeah, no problem. But look, what I would say is this. Um, Meadowsweet comes in a number of different forms. Um, the, yep. the, certainly the extract is a, a more, how can you call it, a modern rendition of the herb, which I stock in my dispensary. But I'm a great believer also in using what's called Meadowsweet tea. Now, that's, oh, yeah. that is based on the dried herb, which is very, very inexpensive and is a popular, a very popular uh, herbal tea, which is pleasant to take. Now, I know some herbal teas may not be pleasant to take, but Meadowsweet is a pleasant herbal tea, which I have had many, many clients and patients talk about as a result of taking it, some of whom subsequent to resolving their problem uh, in taking the Meadowsweet have been reluctant to go off it because it's such a pleasant uh, tea to take. And it has, in my opinion, in my opinion, it has ongoing benefits for lessening uh, arthritic tendencies and for addressing the the possibility or the the action or the incidence of uh, low-grade reflux. And it is a, a very, very harmless but yet gentle remedy to address again the urinary tract uh, where it p- provides a useful, that's what I would say, a useful, soothing, mild antiseptic effect on the urinary system. So I guess I've been all around the bush there, Graham, but I'm glad you're taking it. Uh, the, the, the way in which many of our herbs now are, are losing their more sophisticated form has a lot to do with what I was talking about a moment ago, the accelerating supply system. Many of the products, encapsulated, tableted products, uh, come from overseas. And the supply of that now is no longer guaranteed. For instance, um, the American herb Golden Seal, uh, which I consider to be probably one of the backbone remedies of Western herbalism, is virtually unavailable in any form. Uh, uh, so we have to get used to going perhaps back to simples. You can use the extract, and that's available, as I've said, but also meadowsweet herbal tea is readily available. Yeah, yeah. You can get that from your, yeah, uh, your yeah, outlet? Yeah, and, and it's very, very, very inexpensive. What, what, mm. I'm, what I'm trying to do in this series on water-based preparations, domestic medications, is to, is to get back to basic uh, herbal medicine and to try to move away from the way in which many of these natural medicines have become so expensive due to supply yep. problems, uh, currency problems, that many dear folk, particularly in working class areas where I'm happy uh, to be, uh, some of these products now are reaching the stage where many mm. dear folk can't afford them. That's why I'm trying to get people to see that there's a strong tradition in using herbs in simpler forms, and they're not all nasty yep. to take. Well, I'd encourage your first, Graham, to get some meadowsweet tea and give that a go. Of course, yeah. what's called the fluid extract is also readily available. It's interesting you should raise meadowsweet because uh, in my rooms, I have a series of photographs in my consulting room uh, of some of uh, Britain's most important medical herbalists. A lot of my mentors come from that strong English tradition. And one of those is a a photograph of quite an eccentric chap called Frank Roberts, 
he was a very eccentric guy, but most herbalists are without elaborating. But he was a great exponent of the virtues of meadowsweet and saw it as being a herb that had remarkable possibilities for addressing multiple conditions of of the gut, particularly dyspepsia, uh, hyperacidity, and even mild inflammatory conditions. So think think of Frank Roberts, if you can get hold of his literature, which you'd have to probably search the net for now, um, get it. It's worthwhile reading. You'll laugh out of it as well, but a great English herbalist. Would yeah. med- meadow sweet tea be available in health food shops it, generally? It should. I, I hope, I hope health food store proprietors, uh, the few of them that are left now in our area, I hope a few, mm. they're taking on board my encouragement to start stocking some of these simpler mm. herbs so that people can get them anywhere. And I've always said, and I reiterate, try to get these things that I talk about in your own locality. If you can't, well, then there's an option. But yes, health food store proprietors should, in my opinion, and I've owned health food stores. My son owns a health food store. They should get back to leading the way in getting back to the original remedies on which health food store uh, stores were built many years ago. And we're enjoying talking about original remedies. We are indeed. That, that was good, Graham. that should ring in. Um, yes, thanks you, Corbyn. It's available. Dennis, migraines, yes, folk remedies. Yes, and look, it's a, a very uh, appropriate topic to talk about because many people suffer yeah. what are called migraine headaches. Now, what I'm going to say now uh, does not mean that this particular herb, Fifaview, is the cure for migraines. Listeners know me well enough to know that I'm not presenting these remedies as remedies necessarily to approach the condition when it's acute. We're talking about gentle remedies that have shown an ability to resist, help, uh, and otherwise participate in making the patient or the individual's life a little bit more bearable with migraines hopefully becoming less. And this is where uh, a herb called Feverfew, F-E-V-E-R-F-E-W, botanically known as Parthenium, uh, it in modern times has emerged uh, as a discovery again of particularly in certain villages in Wales. It was noticed that in some of the more traditional areas, particularly again, working-class areas, working-class areas. Why do we say frequently working-class areas? Because many of these herbs that developed a tradition were tradition were developed in communities that didn't have a lot of money and who couldn't afford uh, medicine and the medical procedures of that particular era. So their use of domestic or folk remedies was something that was very important to them, and they were discovered and subsequently carried on, even when those communities became perhaps a little bit more affluent. The feverfew herb was noticed again uh, by some medical practitioners that uh, increasingly people were presenting and talking about the use of this remedy as being useful in resisting their incidence of migraine headache. Now, again here, we can thank uh, medical professionals doctors who did not dismiss this as just nonsense. Uh, They didn't dismiss it cynically as folk medicine, even though it was folk medicine. They were like many of our GPs who were at the the forefront 
of dealing with people's problems and thank God for our GPs, they took on board uh, this experience. And as a result of that, FIFA few was looked at scientifically and it was shown to have a number of very, very uh, fascinating substances in them that had an action against what are called prostaglandins. Now, doctors and pharmacists out there would know what I'm talking again about, but prostaglandins are hormone-like substances that are in our bodies, but in certain diseases are responsible in the, in the level that they present for bringing about constriction and inflammatory activity. And so there was a basis developed around FIFAview for justifying its use in traditional communities in, as a folk medicine, which in modern days has emerged as a useful, now I use that term, as a useful possibility, keeping in mind that again here, just as Graham was talking about Meadowsweet being presented in an encapsulated form, FIFA view these days comes in multiple forms uh, as far as encapsules are concerned. It's available. It's in liquid extracts, it's available. And let me just say, um, if one is going to use it, um, just planting FIFA view as a herb around the household and doing what the traditionalists did, just taking a leaf or two of FIFA view on a regular basis, may be useful in lessening the onset or the occurrence of migraine headache. Now, there's a couple of little provisos here. Uh, this uh, herb, unfortunately, in about 20% of people, can establish some unpleasant oral symptoms, uh, ulceration of the mouth, um, mouth symptoms which are transitory and uh, which immediately dissipate if the herb is ceased being taken. Now, I've been in practice a long time and have prescribed a lot of FIFA view, uh, usually in conjunction with other herbs for migraine. And I haven't seen too much evidence of this, but it's in the literature. So I'm obliged to say, uh, simply because the preparation is a natural preparation, a herbal preparation, and simply because it's been used domestically with a great long tradition, if one takes the herb FIFA view, one must take it in a very, very small amount, a leaf or two a day, if you're using capsules, a capsule a day would be quite adequate and just be on guard for any unpleasant oral symptoms. I've never seen it occur, but interestingly, many people that use it will vouch for the way in which it's lessened uh, its uh, ability or lessened the onset of migraine. But I have an interesting story here, here Jane. Yes. I've also said that FIFAview, um, well, I've said that FIFAview has antiprostaglandin characteristics and I won't elaborate on that for listeners because I don't want to turn this into a session on, on chemistry or pharmacology but prostaglandins are associated with inflammatory conditions uh, migraine, uh, more of a vascular representation of, 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 of inflammation but in some uh, arthritic conditions painful arthritic conditions obviously prostaglandins are associated with that. Now, I had an incidence many years ago when I had a practice in Redleaf Avenue at Barunga of a gentleman that came with migraine headaches and I suggested that he go on to Meadowsweet and, and give it a trial. 
Or fever few. I'm sorry, a fever few. <laughs> sorry, Jane. Meadow Street I'm, I'm, I'm was jumping in the ahead. Brain. I'm jumping ahead. Um, I suggested he go on to fever few, and and give it a try, which he did. And I saw him a month or two further, and I said, "How did you get on?" He said, "Oh, he said I took it." He said, "But uh, my migraines were no better." I said, "Well, you, you you get migraines frequently?" He said, "Yes." He said, "If it was going to do any good," he said, "I thought it would have done something." He said, "But." Over the last couple of months, he said, it really hasn't done much for my migraines. He said, but, he said, the interesting thing is, he says, my knees, he said, are incredibly improved. He says, the arthritic symptoms are virtually gone. Uh, he said, should I expect that? Well, of course, that would be an expectation. And if one looks at a FIFA few, one finds that it's frequently used as a remedy to address arthritic pain where the antiprostaglandin chemistry of the herb may be seen as explaining why in some cases it's a remedy that may ameliorate the discomfort, pain and inflammation of arthritis. So it's all to do with inflammation, It I is suppose. indeed. That's a good and point. And migraines are, yeah. An inflammatory also, condition. Yeah. That's a very good point. So look, a, a domestic remedy, because it was domestic, observed by astute and, and GPs that were interested in the medicine of the people, subsequently examined by pharmacognosists and pharmacologists, its chemistry defined to some degree, and a documentation of its modern use as a complementary medicine, justifying, if you like, its traditional use. What am I saying? I'm saying, look, if you are a sufferer of migraine, Always keep within the domain of your GP, but I'm sure your GP will have no problems if you uh, suggested that you're interested in using FIFAview, not as in competition to anything that he would do, but rather as a complementary medicine based on folk medicine as a means of lessening the incidence of the condition. Now, speaking about the plant, it's mm. not an Australian plant, no, but does no. it grow here? Easily. Very easily. Easily. Eh? Very, very easily. In fact, uh, Going into a, a nursery where they have a herbal section, I'm sure that you could get fever few very easily indeed. It's sometimes confused with chamomile, but it isn't chamomile. It's quite different. Okay. And remember, its botanical name is Parthenium. Yes. And uh, usually when you go to a plant or a nursery, they'll have the, the, the herb or the plant called up by its, its common name and then its botanical name underneath it. So Parthenium. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and uh, you could grow it and just go out and pick it up. Oh, that's how it was used. So then do you... Just a tub. Just pick a, pick a, a, a leaf or so. Yeah. Now let me emphasise again, it's a very, very low-dose thing. It's mm. not like parsley where you have to take a handful of the herb and boil it up. This is just as you, as you leave home, you pick a sprig of the leaf mm -hmm. and you do that regularly. That was the and tradition. just munch it. Just munch it. Just <laughs> oh, bun now, that's sounds a, so simple. Um, but as I've said, uh, there's a small percentage of people for whom there might be a mild reaction. Yes. I've never seen it, and it is fair to say that most people that use FIFAFU, and there are many of them that do, uh, use it in an encapsulated or a liquid form. But based on what we've been emphasising today, don't overlook the simplicity of folk medicines. Now, is that the only herb that we're going to think oh, no. about for migraines? Oh, no. Well, look, it, it is, how can I call it? It fits into what we're talking about as uh, a leading folk medicine 
or domestic medicine. And it's probably wise just to, to leave our discussion on migraine yes. centred around that because there are other herbs, but if we get into it, we're going to confuse what we've said about fee for few for migraines. We'll move on we'll move to look on. at another remedy that will fascinate uh, people also, uh, a couple of European remedies, one in particular that was made famous by a Swiss uh, pharmacognosist called Professor Hans Fluck, who uh, demonstrated with, uh, with evidence, clinical trials, etc., that the next herb did have value in what we call the birthing process. And to a new RFM's health naturally. Jennifer has rung in from Blacksmiths, Dennis. And uh, Jennifer, your question's about carpal tunnel? Yes. Yes, what would you like to ask, Dennis? Oh, look, I've got the worst pain at night. Um, I'm, I'm taking what the doctor has prescribed for me, but the pain at night is just so severe. I'm up in tears. Okay. Have you, or is your doctor considering uh, some surgery for the condition? Yes, I'm on the waiting list oh, at the good. moment. That's good. Look, um, that in, in my experience, that's, that's a very, very good surgery. And I know many of my patients, friends and clients have had this wretched condition that has been, uh, how can you call it, remarkably improved uh, by the surgical procedure. But in the meantime, in the meantime, and this will not clash with what your good doctor has prescribed for you, um, I have for years recommended uh, vitamin B6 in a higher dosage. Now, when, when I say a higher dosage, what am I talking about? I'm saying that vitamins can be used for two purposes. Uh, one purpose to meet uh, recommended daily requirements, that is basically a nutritional level, but vitamins also in elevated dosages are considered to have what we call a pharmacological action, that is an action in addressing certain disease processes. So just as we say vitamin C in a minimum dose is useful to help us remain free of conditions like the old disease scurvy, but in higher levels is useful as an immune enhancing agent. So vitamin B6 in about 150 milligrams daily, vitamin B6, pyridoxin is its technical name, in the textbook by Pizzorno and Murray entitled The Encyclopedia of Natural Medicine, which I've lectured from for many years and practised from, in that text there is a recommendation of, of using vitamin B6 in conjunction with, however, a total spectrum of the B group. In other words, when I prescribe it, uh, for this, uh, and I, I do it reasonably frequently, I will prescribe vitamin B6 in an elevated level, but it would be accompanied by a high-potency, broad-spectrum, full vitamin B complex. Now, does it work in every case? No. Does it work in some cases? Yes. And does it work effectively in some cases? Yes. Look, the good thing about it, Jennifer, is the, the, what I'm recommending uh, is very inexpensive. You could go to your pharmacy or your health food store and they would have those products there. Uh, they're not expensive. Uh, the B-group vitamins uh, are water-soluble, so it's very unlikely that they build up in your system. It's worthwhile giving a try. If you go down that pathway, the right and ethical thing to do is to let 
your your doctor know what you're doing, but un yes. until you actually go for the procedure, this could give you just a little bit of additional relief. Maybe, maybe. Thank you. All the very best with that, Jennifer. Yes. Uh, so the birthing process yeah, yeah. and health naturally, we're talking about folk remedies. We are indeed. In fact, this one, uh, many listeners would know about it. Uh, and interestingly, uh, many people, many women use it. Now, I'm talking about uh, the herb raspberry and raspberry leaf. You mean the actual raspberry plant, which has Absolutely. the beautiful raspberries. That but we we're use. talking here about the leaf. Yes. Uh, I'm not disputing the fact that it is as is lovely as a fruit, but raspberry leaf tea is one of the oldest and most well-documented European tea that has been taken domestically for generations, particularly in Europe, to help in the whole birthing process to enhance, if you like, the musculature and the work of assisting the passage or the, the delivery of the child. In other words, it's known as a birthing herb and technically it's known as a uterotonic remedy. That's the technical term that's used to describe it. It's uterotonic. It has a supportive effect on the musculature. It is claimed to facilitate uh, a more competent uh, whole process of contraction and lead to less problematical births. Now, uh, what are we saying here? Is it medically proven? Probably not. Is there documentation to support some of the claims? Yes. Now, in a book called Medicinal Plants, uh, that was a text that I started lecturing from in, in, the, in the late 70s and early 80s. It was one of the few sensible texts dealing with herbal medicine and also involving an explanation of how they worked. One of the texts that was, was, was what, I, what I used was by Professor Hans Fluck, and he was a Swiss pharmacognosist. That is someone who looks at a plant, uh, looks at its chemistry, and seeks to relate that to medicinal values. And he wrote a paper on raspberry leaf, which was the summation of some of the clinical trials that he had done and some of the evidence that he had received which encouraged him to conclude that raspberry leaf tea taken in the final stage of a pregnancy may have some benefit in enhancing the whole birthing process. Uh, by that we mean uh, a more efficient uh, delivery or actual birthing presentation of the child less likely complications, particularly postpartum bleeding, and a more efficient process altogether. Now, I would preface or finalise my remarks by saying anything taken during a pregnancy needs to be taken cautiously. I'm one of those that do not encourage my patients, clients or listeners to take multiple things during a pregnancy situation unless there is a need. Now, what if I, for instance, were seeking to help a lady who had been having multiple miscarriages. There I would intervene and recommend a bracket of herbs that are usually helpful. With raspberry leaf, it's a herb that is called technically a partus preparator in the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia. It would be used in the final stages, the final weeks, the final months, uh, 
of the pregnancy, with hopefully a uterotonic benefit being asserted in the birthing process. Raspberry leaf tea. Why do I mention it's European history? Well, I'm of a European background, and we all come, well, many of us come, if you like, generations ago from Europe, and Europe is, is, the, is the basis of many of our remedies that are used in Western herbalism, and, and the tradition uh, developed in Europe is a tradition that goes back over hundreds of years, and fortunately we here in Australia bring with us still a semblance of our relationship to that tradition. That's why I'm happy to mention raspberry leaf. Now, there's another herb you talked about ah, from Europe too. Ah, okay, and we might uh, finalise on this one because this would probably be the best-known folk medicine or traditional medicine used in Europe. And I'm talking about what many Europeans refer to as chamomile, and we're talking about um, chamomile, the two species of it. Um, but... Chamomile is well known uh, as a folk medicine in Europe, particularly for addressing, if you like, kids' conditions. Now, what do we mean by kids' conditions? Okay, look, it's a nice tea, and one can purchase chamomile in in tea bags very inexpensively, uh, in in multiple brands from health food stores, even supermarkets. Supermarkets have it, yeah. That's correct. Now, it's a pleasant tea which frequently has enough relaxant activity in it to help that child drift off and have a better sleeping pattern than what they hitherto would have. Now, <laughs> That's this, good news for parents. It is indeed. Anything, anything that gets rid of that drama of the child that, oh, don't talk to me about it, Jane, my dear wife, <laughs> and I've raised four children and I can think of one of my daughters who was a nightmare to both of us in as much till right up until she was about two. She wouldn't sleep. And I can still remember I'd just get off to sleep and so would my wife. And you'd hear this pitter-patter, pitter-patter. And she'd be standing at the door when she was two. And I'd end up by saying, look, look, just jump into bed, will you? <laughs> because she was a terrible sleeper. She didn't respond to chamomile, oh, but she, she knew she was not a good thing when she could come and sleep with <laughs> mum and dad. She but I'm did. talking about, if you like, children a bit younger than that, that have some useful responses to a harmless tea, chamomile, popularly used in Europe for kids' conditions. But ah, ah, to finalise my comments on it, if if one were to look at some of the technical aspects of chamomile, it might surprise listeners to know that most of my treatment for gut conditions are, are prefaced or led by the herb chamomile and my understanding of the clinical possibilities of chamomile quite apart from using it as a kid's remedy for insomnia were based on the excellent writings of of the uh, of a German uh, doctor uh, Dr Rudolf Weiss who wrote a book called Herbal Medicine the dear doctor is passed on now but he's left one of the greatest texts in the English language it's a translation of his German work where he gives, and I say this to listeners who are practitioners, pharmacists or doctors listening to this, he gives some of the best information from a clinical, medical and pharmacological perspective justifying using chamomile in a more sophisticated form perhaps than just a tea Mm -hmm. for addressing anything from mild inflammatory states of the gut, 
to what we called upset tummies, to moving right down to where it's useful, even for inflammatory conditions, moving down to the larger bowel. Remarkable herb, which is still not appreciated sufficiently as its ability to address many conditions of the gastrointestinal tract. Just as a follow-up on chamomile, if you were giving it to children, you wouldn't mm. give them a hot tea? Oh, definitely not. No, no, no. You would cool you, it down oh, first? You, you always use herbal teas in a cooled form. Uh, don't take these things hot. The idea is to make the tea, let it stand, strain off the tea when it's cool, and use it just when it's lukewarm. To a new RFM.